you found the Winding Roads Podcast. My name is Isaac Redinger. Each week, my guests and I talk about cars. Our own cars, our past cars, cars we're excited about, how we were bitten by the car enthusiast bug, and more. Hop in, buckle up, and join me for another great drive. Happy Monday, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am talking to Gary Robertson. Uh, we met on Instagram a couple of years ago when I first got my Cayman. I started an Instagram page specifically for that and uh, started following a few people. And I don't remember who followed who first, but Gary and I kind of met and, um, you know, check out each other's stuff here and there. Gary also has a Cayman I believe it's the same year as mine. What year is your Cayman? Mine's an 07. Okay. No, mine's so mine's, new mine's just a base. Yours is the S model, correct? Uh, correct. No. Yes. It looks like it, mm, it's either black or very dark blue. It's Atlas gray metallic. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it changes with the the lighting. It really does. Okay. And I think being the picture I'm looking at parked next to, I would imagine like a chalk or a gate or however you say that word, uh, 9-11, it probably just makes it look darker than it is. It may, and it was cloudy that day. That was the picture of uh, me in the middle of 20 Porsches. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool picture, though. The clouds look awesome in the background, and you got got mountains in the background, and uh, it's that's a cool picture. I, I would definitely have that as a, as a wallpaper somewhere. I'm fortunate to be living in the, the area of the Porsche Club of America, the PCA chapter that I am. I'm in the, the they call it the Founders chapter, the Potomac mm. chapter. Okay. And uh, there's activities all the time. That one, we drove way out uh, in the west side of Virginia, not quite West Virginia, but out in the boondocks, went to a really nice restaurant for lunch, and then drove if you can imagine 20 porsches driving all together through the countryside people in pickups you know just looking at us like we we're from another planet <laughs> and then we went to a winery there's quite a few wineries down here and nice. it was a very nice event and you've had your came in for what about a year now yeah, about almost two years so about the same oh, as nice. you okay yeah i got mine in november yeah i'm still smiling <laughs> Yeah, I every now and then I get back in it and I just like I really like this car. This is one of my favorite cars I've ever owned. Probably my favorite actually. I don't want to get rid of it anytime soon. There's a there's a sensation when you're driving a Porsche and you cannot explain it to somebody unless they've driven one. The handling um just you're you're at one with the car and it mm -hmm. it just it sounds corny saying that, but when you drive it you understand. Yeah. And uh, in fact, when I picked up mine in Seattle and drove it home, my buddy and I were driving. It was my first time uh, driving it. I was the first driver, I should say. And we were going through these mountains uh, just east of Seattle. I had never been in that area. And uh, every time I'd look to the left, the car would go to the left, look to the right, the car would go to the right. He's like, dude, what's going on here? I said, I, this thing, it, it just goes wherever I'm looking. And then, of course, we switched drivers a little bit later, and uh, he had the same issue. But you know, by the end of the first day of driving, we got used to it. But it's just that that uh, that connectivity between 
I don't know. It's almost telepathic, the handling. And yeah. he has a, a 356 Porsche and the feeling is exactly the same. You know, hmm. here it is uh, 50 years later in, uh, in Porsche history, but it still has the same feel as a 356. I have almost have a mirror uh, image of that story. Um, I took my dad last year. I went out to visit him for Father's Day and we went for a drive and he's always kind of been nervous about my driving <laughs> but when i was younger for very valid reasons um but we you know the first five or ten minutes i went on this road that i had known from when i was a kid or not a kid but when i i had used to live in the area obviously so i was familiar with it and the first couple turns he kind of was like bracing himself and he's like you don't have to show off you can just you know and um, that was his way of saying, slow down. <laughs> so we drove for about a half hour and then we stopped and we switched. And the first few minutes he was kind of, you know, being gentle and careful and, and getting used to it because he drives an F-150. And um, I think the sportiest thing he's driven was probably my sister and I had Mustangs when we were teenagers. Um, so after about 10 minutes, we got to this part of the drive that was like long sweeping curves left and right, just back and forth. He actually started accelerating through the corners. <laughs> He's like, this thing handles really great. I'm like, yeah, it's so we both enjoyed it and had fun with it. But uh, yeah, the, the, the lack of body roll and understeer it just dawned on me one day that, you know, this car doesn't really have that unless you're pushing it and driving it in the wrong way, then you can get it to do that. But it's it definitely a different feeling than you're used to and it's, in another car. Have you had the opportunity to uh, do that Porsche road show? They go around the country and you can drive the whole lineup. No. It's for prospective customers. And uh, okay. they thought that I was a prospective customer. <laughs> My buddy signed me up for, for a, a no-cost birthday gift to him. It's free. Mm. Uh, and it was out at uh, Summit Point, and just oh, yeah, yeah, just over the border to West Virginia here. It's about an hour and a half drive from my house. And okay. um, there's the whole lineup of brand new Porsches, and they're all GTS versions. Mm -hmm. uh, none of them manual transmissions, but they had the PDK. And uh, mm -hmm. you go around the, the track, and then you come back and get out of that one, go to the one behind you. And then they had some um, autocross set up with some cones and stuff like that. It was really enjoyable, but after driving the whole lineup, the one I enjoyed the most was the Cayman, and it was because of the handling. You're sitting right at the at the middle of the center mm -hmm. of gravity, and it just handled beautifully compared to the 911, which was fun, but you always felt that, that kick in the butt when you stepped on a throttle uh, mm -hmm. coming out of the corner, which was enjoyable, but the Cayman just seemed so well-balanced in comparison, yeah. and... Of course, I'm uh, a bit jaded, probably as you are. I think the Cayman's the better car. <laughs> I think it'd be hard to prove or change my mind otherwise. I haven't really driven, had the chance to drive a 911 extensively to be able to compare them, especially now. I think I might have driven one 20 years ago, but I had no clue. Um, but yeah, the, the the balance, I would agree. I mean, you can... Now, after almost 25,000 miles, I know what to expect when I do A or B, and it's just the predictability and, and balance is great. Right, and let me walk back my statement there. 
every Porsche is wonderful. My favorite of all the excellent models is the Cayman. I don't want you mm -hmm. to get any hate mail from the 911 <laughs> owners. <laughs> yeah. Love them all. I love anything with an engine and four wheels, truthfully. Yeah, same. I almost everything, but um, I can definitely relate to that. So speaking of, what would you say your first uh, car memory would be? The earliest memory you can think of that involved a car. Well, my dad was a car guy, hot rodder. Um, the first thing I remember was we, this is how old I am. Uh, he thought it would be a good idea to take the boys down to Florida to see Apollo 11 blast off. That's with Neil Armstrong and them. You know, it's funny, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and, um, the other guys, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, this was before I-75 actually went all the way from Michigan to Florida. And I grew right. up in the Detroit area. So we were driving in a 60, I believe a 66 or 67. Well, I don't remember. Let's see. I think it was a 66 Grand Prix with okay. a 389 tri-power, three two-barrel carburetors, which just a few nights before, he swapped with my uncle's car who was trading it in, <laughs> but he got a quote for the trade-in value. Uh, I think a large part of it was with the th you know, the tri-power setup. So in the middle of the sure. night, he and my dad swapped manifolds and carburetors, and a couple of days later, we're on the road heading to Florida. And uh, we got to a point where it, it was dark, and um, it was just a two-lane road, and it was freshly blacktopped without any lines. And I was maybe four years old, five years old, and we saw a single light coming at us in the distance. And he was thinking, oh, this is a motorcycle. Or he was saying that. Well, it's like a motorcycle is coming at us. Yeah. And it was getting closer and closer. And it got to the point where we were all panicking. And he was slowing down, slowing down. He was scaring the hell out of us. And it was a train track right next to the road we didn't know existed. And the train went oh. zooming by to the right. But that's the first, that's one of my first car memories because it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but that would be my first one, 1969, awesome. July. <laughs> okay. But, uh, being around cars growing up in the Detroit area, you know, everybody's into cars. You have to be. I would imagine. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, my dad had quite a, a string of cars. Uh, the first one I had uh he had bought a volkswagen let's see he had uh oh he had several volkswagens i think seven vw bugs all together but one of them wasn't really running well and i was in college and i said dad can i please take the vw to college everybody else has a car and he goes yeah go ahead so i took that to college and that was a 73 super beetle okay. and he bought it from a lady who had driven too far into her parking lot and the carport peeled the top back like a, a can of sardines hmm. and her father was a repairman on boats a fiberglass guy so he put a, a fiberglass roof on it so what happened well he didn't paint it so every time you'd open up the door and the dome light came on it glowed from the outside <laughs> that was my first car it's a great way to set the mood yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I had a long string of cars. I didn't before this podcast. I was writing down all the cars I've had, and I didn't realize I've had close to twenty cars. And there's a string of one element that goes through all of them. If I look at right from that bug all the way through 
um, let's see, an 86 Honda Civic Si, which I bought new, put Takiko gas coilovers on it, okay. <laughs> souped it up a bit. Um, my buddy and I did some tuft testing to figure out where to put the NACA air scoop to get a Ram air effect. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then I sold that and bought a 500. I had a lot of $500 cars, a Fiesta, mm-hmm. a, an old Rabbit GTI from 84, uh, an Audi uh, 4KQ. You're familiar with the Audis, 4000 Quattro. Let's see, a CRX, a Civic, a uh, 92X. Uh, and then I went five years without a without a car before I got my Cayman. I guess you uh, worked from home or you commuted on a train or something? Uh, here in the D.C. area, I'm in Alexand- Alexandria. Um, we do have good mass transit, but I also rode my bike to work. Okay. So after the third time, after the third accident, I thought maybe I should just get a car. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into a fence once and uh, okay. got hit by a car two or three times. So, But if you look at the string of cars I was saying, there's some sort of a congruence that goes through them, and that's they were all fun. They're all fun mm. to drive. Uh, even that GTI, it didn't go very fast, but it felt like I was going fast. I had a ball in sure. that car. Um, yeah, so I've always had fun. And then I had a motorcycle. I don't know if you're into bikes. Uh, a Yamaha RZ 350, the last okay. the last road-going two-stroke. Uh, so I had that, and it was very enjoyable. So, yeah, I've had fun with all nice. the cars. I don't buy a car unless I think it's going to be fun. That's good. That's that, I think it's a good um, mentality to have because, you know, that way you're not falling asleep and bored in your car. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you had mentioned about some road trips. I'm curious about your road trip with the Cayman. Um, what were some highlights about that trip on your way when you picked it up? I would say primarily <laughs> that it was there. Um, I, I saw it on, I think it was auto trader or cars.com, um, sent some messages to the salesman and, uh, he did some videos walking around it and all that stuff. Show me where some scratches were. Yeah, it was 15, 16 years, 15 years old when I bought it. Um, but it only had 42,000 miles. And, uh, so I wired him the money and the night before we got to Seattle, and the whole night before, I was having a hard time sleeping because I thought, what if this was all a scam? I've just right. given him all this money. <laughs> I hope it <Yeah>. exists. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first highlight that it was actually there. Coming back, we just had a ball. Uh, we, di- we actually did it in, let's see, one, two, three, four legs of 12 hours each. Well, the first three legs were 12. The last one was just Michigan to here at home. That was about eight or nine. You said you went with your brother? No, my, well, no, my friend, uh, he may as well be my brother. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you're lucky enough, you have friends in your life that are closer than your family. Cause you'd never let your family know the stuff that you're doing, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. But yeah, yeah. He, uh, years ago, he bought a, uh, a 356. Uh, there was an eBay auction, man. I think this was in mid nineties, maybe, maybe late nineties. Okay. Uh, the golden years of the internet and he bought a 356 that was listed but it didn't sell and he contacted the owner and then he says come on we're going to albuquerque and uh buying a uh a porsche okay so he flew down there 
You get, you know, so same thing. So ever since then, I've been saying, you know, when I get a car, I got to, you know, we got to do a road trip. And I would say, yeah. Trug, his name's Trug. Trug, uh, you know, I've got got one picked out right here and it's right across the border in Maryland. He goes, no, 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 no. You owe me a road trip. <laughs> so no matter how nice the Cayman was, it wasn't good enough because it wasn't far enough away. So Seattle is pretty much about as far as you can get. Yeah. So it's sea to shining sea. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, he and I drove and, um, it was a lot of fun. Um, some highlights. Oh, like I said, the fact that the car was there, <laughs> that mm -hmm. was the biggest one. And, uh, had you ever been to that part of the country? Never, before? never been, okay. been all over the world, That's... never been to Seattle. Nice. But it was, it was beautiful. Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but he is. And he went to the very first Starbucks. I guess that was memorable for him. But we we just, you know, we were, stayed in a hotel the night before. The next morning went and got the car and mm -hmm. took off. And, um, yeah, we just, we plotted the the route according to Google. And, um, in fact, I just, just about an hour before our talk here, I realized that I had a folder for my Porsche trip. And I have printed out maps with the highway and then to really be, odd i have the satellite view where we went all the okay. way across the continent <laughs> it really is daunting when you look at it but yeah yeah but we did some nice things uh i i didn't realize it but he did some research and uh uh we have, <laughs> we had to stop at certain places you know like uh where custer had his last stand at <laughs> all that stuff nice. yeah so it was it was enjoyable um, and I'll tell you, my, uh, I, I, my stomach still hurts from giggling the whole way. Uh, one well, for me, great. finally having my own Porsche and just, yeah. uh, you know, you have those friends you're with and it's just, you know, you're 16 years old again. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, other highlights, I can't think of any except, um, um, it was in the height of COVID. Mm -hmm. We were the only ones on the road. There were no, oh, nice. no police, um, no restaurants were open, fast food chains, uh, were drive through only. Right. Um, but yeah, everybody had masks. We were, you know, we, we came with like a, a ton of hand sanitizer. Um, but yeah, the roads were wide open and not only that, I don't think I saw a cloud in the sky the whole trip. It was beautiful weather. Absolutely wow. beautiful. Uh, related to the car, though, our first night, I believe it was in Bozeman, um, got up and it was still cold. This is in March and it's still cold in some places in the country in March. Sure. And we started pulling out of the parking lot and we felt this boom, 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 boom. Oh, no. And oh, my God. And here we go. Some suspension component failed. And he got on his phone on the Porsche websites and trying to figure it out. And... Um, after a little while, it went away. It turns out we had summer-only Pirellis, and that was a flat spot. Mm. Uh, they're not supposed to be driven below 40 degrees or whatever. Right. Um, but that went away. But that was that was quite a scare. Sure. Yeah, especially if you don't if you've not experienced that before, it can definitely be startling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, when you just parked over money for your Porsche. Yeah, because your your senses are are heightened, and you always you know think the worst 
if whenever you hear a new noise. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, that that is exactly true. One of the things my dad did, he was a pilot as well, you know, aviation household as well as a car household. And when we'd fly over to Wisconsin to a big air show in Oshkosh, uh, a lot of pilots didn't like flying over Lake Michigan. They went around because as hmm. soon as you as soon as you go over Lake Michigan, you start, you know, the engine starts sounding funny to you. You start imagining that there's problems and you may not be able to glide to the shore. <laughs> so, so it's the same thing with a cross country trip and a car you're you're not too familiar with. Yeah. You start imagining problems. Is that um, you mentioned the noise changes over the lake? Is that because it just reflects differently? No, it's the, it's in your mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's called paranoia but yeah the, the trip was wonderful it really was okay. and people's uh we go to a local well we i go to a local cars and coffee thing here in great falls virginia and uh i tell people yeah i bought it in seattle and everybody says the same thing what carrier did you use i said <laughs> what do you mean they said carrier i said i drove it so you drove yeah. it all the way across aren't you concerned yeah. about putting miles on that thing I'm like, well, that's why I bought it. Yeah, I'm going to drive the heck out of this thing. I, I put almost 20,000 miles on it already. More miles, more smiles. It's like we have like sister stories because I bought mine in November of 2020 and it's an 06 and it had 41,000 miles on it. And I actually commuted mine every day. So I do 12,000 miles a year. And so by November, I'll be around 25,000 miles or so. And that's, you know, more than half of what all five prior owners put on it combined. Yeah. And, and also, did you, did you suffer some uh, mechanical issues because the car sat? Probably. I know when I bought it, it needed a rear main seal and the power steering pump was noisy. Um, so I was expecting those. And the, the seal was probably because it sat so much because, mm -hmm. you know, it was averaging, what, to 3,000 miles a year. Um, and so then I, a few months after I started driving it daily, uh, then my water pump decided to fail in the spring um, after like three or 4,000 miles. And But then for the most part, I haven't had anything since. So I think it was just, you know, like my dad, when I was a kid, he had a, had an F1, or, um, a Ranger and he drove that every day. And when he, he bought a second car to keep the miles off of it, because it had hit like 120 or something. Well, about six months after he stopped driving it every day, he developed a water leak. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, cars like to be driven and it actually can help keep everything lubricated. But yeah, I, I think that's why the water pump failed, which I've heard is relatively normal to see that fail around 40, 50,000 miles. But I think it's just because they don't get driven enough. Mine failed too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within, uh, I would say, two or three months of me driving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then um, I had some smoke on startup, which is normal for an opposed six engine, but um, it started getting a little worse. So I had my mechanic change the uh, air oil separator because mm -hmm. they say that's a, a common thing to fix. So I had that done. Hasn't smoked since. Yeah, um, I just did mine my own, myself a couple months ago. I have a guy that does things. <laughs> he works on Ferraris too, so I figure my Porsche is fine with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't do everything myself. I, I'm lucky enough to work at a dealership, so you know, I'll have oh, a technician yeah. help me with some things that I can't do. 
um, like alignments or inspections or like the water pump or remain seal, all that big stuff was done um, by some people at work for me. But um, I try to do what I can, mm -hmm. you know, or like it's it's the it's the tactile, you know, act of doing it. Um, that's kind of almost like a like therapeutic. oh i agree i agree i don't i'm not set up for it here i don't have a garage i park in a parking lot here um but uh You don't garage your Porsche. no no And you drive it a lot. all the time every day Do, do people know that? <laughs> well one thing that bothers me are the door dings but um you know it's <laughs> still drives great you had a couple of dings well i'll tell you a month after i got it the week i got it when i got back here i just went quarter of a mile away to pick up a sandwich for lunch and uh, got a flat tire ran over a bolt Ugh. and the rear tire and you know i have 19 inch wheels and those are about 400 bucks 400 bucks Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. so i had a little kitty saved up for repairs uh that i was expecting and uh boy went that kitty uh That, that was depleted quite, quite soon. So there's certain things, not having a garage really bothers Mm -hmm. me, but I don't have the luxury of that. In my neighborhood, Sure. um, it would cost a million bucks to have a house with a garage. So what did you make the move across the country for work then? Yeah, it was a, it was a job. I, I moved here during the banking crisis of, uh, what was it? Oh, seven. It started. Okay. I moved here in oh nine. Yeah. I was, Okay. uh, unemployed for almost two years in the Detroit area. Wow. And I got right down to my last, here I, yeah, I went from unemployment to having a Porsche in just a few years. Um, I got right down to the wire on those unemployment checks and boom, got a phone call from Uncle Sam. And uh, I had worked for the federal government back in the 80s doing what I do now. But um, you know, after 9-11, I kind of had a uh, kind of a call to service again. I'm too much of a wimp to drive, join the, the military so I can I can do what I do now, you know. Yeah. be an office worker. So um, it worked out real well. And then I found out once I had my background check, went through uh, all kinds of, of things, six months later, I went through the uh, orientation and everything. And I meet Mm hmm my boss and she says, tell me all you about, know about this one thing. And I said, oh, no, it turns out I was hired on a mistaken acronym. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. And only in America. <laughs> It all it all ends well in the end, right? Yeah, yeah. All my bosses know it. They, yeah, I'm kind of infamous for that. But yeah, only in America with the U.S. government could I be hired on a mistaken acronym. So I won't mention the acronym, but Yeah. uh, it, it is exactly why I was hired. I'm not super familiar with that part of Virginia. Are there any decent driving roads around or do you have to kind of go 45 minutes to an hour to find some of those? Uh, a little bit, not that, not that far. Maybe, yeah, maybe a half hour to an hour away. to the west Okay. uh otherwise um yeah i'm i'm just right down the street from dc about a 30 minute bicycle ride about uh if i drive my car into work it's about six minutes so Okay. yeah so i'm too close to our nation's capital to have any good driving roads around here Have you done the um the skyline drive at all? i did in the old saab 92x i haven't been out Okay. there with the uh The Cayman. You know, once you get on it, I guess you can turn around, but the speed limit's only 35, I believe. I've heard that. I was wondering if it's if it's really as great as it's hyped up to be. I mean, it 
I've, I guess you've got vistas, but it's not really a driving road, I guess. Oh, I would say it is, but you you just have to be cautious about the speed. And uh, and even if you do some zooms here and there, you're always going to have traffic to deal with. Um, so it's best to go off season. Um, I think that might be a good idea that you just gave me, Isaac. Maybe I'll do that in the fall. Good fall color tour. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way that to sounds... sell it to uh, my girlfriend. Let's go see the fall colors. Yeah, and you could you could start at the at the north or south or somewhere in the middle, wherever it's close to you. Yeah, and then go to maybe the north end and stay the night, and then take ninety five home. Yeah, well, that's what happened with the the nine two X trip. Started at the one up here, I guess the north end of it. Um, got to the south end, and it just you know you have a, an exit there in the middle of mountains. And, uh-huh. uh, and then the next one starts, what is it? The blue, uh, blues, blue Ridge, blue Ridge Park, yeah, parkway. It goes through to Tennessee and there's, I thought they were the same thing for some reason. They're the same road, but they change names in between. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know the history of it, but my point being is that when you get to that point, it's just two lane country roads all the way back to Alexandria. There's no highway oh, until wow. you get much closer in. Um, but that's enjoyable too. Yeah, it is beautiful countryside out here. I've not been to Virginia a whole lot out off of the highways. Um, I've kind of traveled through Virginia and I've experienced a little bit of Maryland, but mostly northern and western Pennsylvania is, or I should say central Pennsylvania in the north and um, like the coal regions mm-hmm. is uh, mostly what I've done previously. Uh, I keep mentioning that to myself that I need to schedule some drives. I just haven't actually done it. And before you know it, the good driving weather is, is gone. So Right. And I remember seeing in your Instagram post that you've driven it in snow. You're came in in snow. We don't, yeah. we don't get much snow down here. Um, so I'm just staying on. I got new tires since the Pirellis, but the ones that I have are summer only as well. Mm-hmm. But last year it wasn't a problem. I um I have the Michelin Pilot Sport 4S. I think I'm getting that. Right? Okay. Yeah. That's a great tire. It is. It really is. I like the Pirellis. The Pirellis I thought were uh, better gripping, um, in a smoother ride, but they were wearing down like like butter and sunshine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my mechanic said you need some new tires up front. They're getting dry rot. So I mm-hmm. guess they were original tires whenever the previous owner switched over to the 19 inch rims we don't get a whole lot of snow up here but it's we'll get some slush and some just like mix a lot of times um occasionally we'll get three to eight inches of snow but not frequently i have a a dedicated set of winter tires for it and the winter that i bought my car uh, we actually got a decent amount of snow but it was parked because i was waiting on some parts and for one of the techs to be available to do the rear main seal and the power steering pump. And I still had my Outback at the time. So I drove that in the winter and there was a couple mornings that, cause I have a quarter mile long driveway. There was a couple mornings, the Outback almost didn't get out. And I called him, I said, Hey, <laughs> if this was next winter, I'm not coming to work because I'm just not getting out of my driveway. But that that's very infrequently. So yeah. I'm not super worried. Coming about from it. Michigan, I feel like I'm in Florida. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't snow much, but when I moved here in 09, we did have what they call snowmageddon, which was mm-hmm. a lot of snow, even by Michigan standards. 
several feet every, yeah. <laughs> like every two weeks for a month. It shut down the government. Love the show and want to help it grow? Now you can. Head over to patreon.com slash podcast. You'll find posts with show updates as well as be able to select your support tier. With three tiers to choose from, you can simply support the show, get a shout out, or even make a special request and join me for a drive in our own cars. I appreciate your support. It truly means a lot and will go a long way to helping deliver a better show for you. What's next? Um, what kind? What are your plans for the Cayman? Uh, is there, is it a step towards something else or do you just kind of see it as something that's going to be around for a long time? I think it's long-term. I think I'll have it for forever. It's one of those things. There's a couple vehicles that have been in my life that I've regretted selling. And I know that I would have that feeling if I got rid of the Cayman. Yeah. Yeah. My, my motorcycle, I sold that for a ticket to Paris, like 500 bucks. Oh. And I wish I had that all the time. And there's a couple of cars I wish I still had. That GTI was a ball, you know, very economical. It was cheap to buy at the time. Um, just met a guy at a bar. They go, he goes, what do you drive? And I said, well, I don't have a car right now. He goes, do you want a GTI? Give me 500 bucks. And I said, where is it? And he goes, I live right next door. And went and looked at it. Next day I gave him 500 bucks and <laughs> drove away with the GTI. But it was, um, again, that fun quotient yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of things I, I regret selling and I will, I don't, I, I can say a hundred percent, I will never sell this car, put a numeric shifting kit in it. So, uh, nobody else seems to be able to drive it. Is it, is it stiffer than the factory one? It's, it, uh, it, it's stiffer. It's, it's very gated. Okay. Um, I sat in, I got so used to it. Now I can't imagine going back. I sat in another one that, you know, it was factory stock. And it felt very wishy-washy com in comparison. Before I got the numeric, I thought that the Porsche transmission was one of the nicest handling, or, you know, the stick was uh, as nice as it, it gets. Although I have to yeah. admit that Honda's pretty darn good too. Mm -hmm. But um, but after doing this numeric kit, uh, that was another thing. I, I pre Preventative maintenance, I replaced the shifter cables mm -hmm. with the numerics. And I figured, well, if I'm going to do that, I may as well get the shifter too. And I'm glad I did, but other people sit in it and they feel like they're going to, they're breaking something because they, <laughs> you know, the, just the noise it makes. Yeah, it's really, yeah. it's really, really something. I recommend it, but you got to okay. be careful because you'll never, you'll never go back. And my mechanic wasn't happy putting it in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he had to fabricate something. The cables looked like something out of an airliner. I mean, they were so mm. much bigger than than stock. Uh, yeah. And I guess numeric, they outfit some racing Porsches. Okay. And um, yeah, but I, I think it was worth every penny. I asked about the, the stiffness because when I had my Mustang, I got a short shifter for it. And that thing, it did get... I mean, it felt great, but it was stiffer, especially like the shift to fifth and reverse. Um, you really had to put some effort into it. And my reverse is like that already. So I was curious if it would be that much more effort. No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's actually instead Porsche and it's it's terrible when you see him side by side. He gave me the old parts, of course, and it's all plastic. But mm -hmm. the new ones are ball bearings. 
instead of these plastic joints that are in the stock. So right. they, they move freely you know, from gear to gear. There's no extra effort, but they're just very, you know when it's in gear and when it's out of gear and going to the next. Sure. Um, there's only one place it goes. And I remember before I put them in, a few times I went to go into fifth. I only have five gears instead of six like you. Going into fifth, I felt like I was, you know, like, is that fifth? Is that is that really going in gear there? There's no question now with the numeric yeah. shifter. But again, for people that aren't accustomed to it, it's a little mm -hmm. a little different. It's certainly nothing right. you'd get OEM. A little more raw feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Feels yeah. like you're on a racetrack. <laughs> I was so happy with them. I got the numeric uh, pedals and I, I'm not sponsoring numeric. <laughs> I'm not getting sure. any money and I've paid full price for everything, but the pedals are really nice. I like those too. Okay. You know, Do they have like, are they metal with like some rubber pads or is it all metal with like knurling and things like that? It's all metal. Yeah. It's all okay. aluminum metal. You take off the, uh, the rubber foot, pad, foot pads that are on there now, the three pedals, mm -hmm. and you slide these on and there's screws behind so you don't see screws from the front. They're very easy sure. to put on. It totally changes everything. And also the the accelerator has a little tab up, uh, if you will, like a, it sticks out a little bit at the top. So it's easier to heel and toe. Oh, it's almost okay. like if uh, uh, my buddy doesn't like driving it because he says his feet are too big. You'll be stepping on both at the same time. But it's... Um, it's a lot of fun and they look cool. Yeah, I remember when I got it, I noticed how much tighter the pedal box is compared to what I had used, been used to driving for a while. And like, I remember my, my, like the sides of my feet scraping against each other when I was, you know, shifting or braking and things like that. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, I'm gonna have to watch what kind of shoes I wear. But now I can pretty much wear anything. It's just, um, foot placement. Yeah, exactly. I went through the same thing. And then, uh, the beginning of summer, I tried driving with sandals. <laughs> I only do that every now and then. It's like the other night, my wife and I went out for ice cream. So I, I just wore flip-flops because, you know, I wasn't really going to be driving with any kind of, um, uh, enthusiasm. So, but for the most part, I, I try to wear sneakers all the time. Yeah. Same here. Uh, yeah, I'll do you know, local go to this store or whatever in in sandals but if i'm going anywhere like when i just went to wisconsin and back i made sure i had my my sneakers yeah. on i've even driven in i don't want to say boots but yeah i've driven in some different shoes yeah because of the climate here i don't even have boots i just have uh, i have all birds and then i have uh waterproof all birds for winter <laughs> <laughs> Nice. You've mentioned a couple of your other vehicles, um, so we're not talking about Porsche the whole night. You've mentioned the GTI and some Civics. Uh, anything else stick out in your in your car history that might be notable? I love my '86 Honda Civic Si. Okay. Um, the hatch, I assume. Yeah, the kind of squared off in the back. Yeah. Same platform as the CRX, but it has a back mm -hmm. seat. Um, I love that thing. Bought it brand new in '86 after having that bug with the you know, the mood roof. <laughs> yeah, I got that brand new. Within a week, somebody rear-ended me. And if it wasn't brand new, I think the insurance would have totaled it. But um, that was repaired and, uh, you know, put that scoop in for the ram air effect. Indexed my spark plugs. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. It's a motorcycle. So that the, so that the opening um, points towards the center of the combustion chamber. 
Excellent. Right? Yes. Very good, Isaac. Yeah. It's a motorcycle racing trick like uh, Irv Kanemoto or somebody came up with it. You take a little, not pencil, because that'll affect the spark. Take like a Sharpie and you and you put where the the electrode is and you make mm -hmm. sure that that opening is pointed to where it'll get some the most uh, surface area or, or what, the most exposure to the cylinder instead of, right. if, if it's turned the other way you're not going to get the spark and sure yeah i when you do something like that real or imagined you can feel a difference <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i i mean that was my first car i was young and uh i redlined that thing on every shift i drove the hell out of it and uh never once did anything go wrong all i did was change the oil every two or three thousand miles didn't have to replace the clutch nothing i mean it was wonderful i put in um some winter tires dedicated winter tires for the snow and uh, mm -hmm. i i really enjoyed that drove it out to wyoming a couple times a wonderful car and that's one of them i wish i would have still had yeah but at the time the hondas were really prone to rust especially in the rust belt mm -hmm. like in the detroit area sure it probably came from the factory that way with rust yes <laughs> or from the off the shivering floor yeah. yeah on the boat across that salty pacific ocean one of my high school buddies he went to be a honda technician after high school for a few years and uh he basically said after some of the trainings that i have seen from honda he's like they'll pretty much run in spite of you like uh, <laughs> they they did this one experiment where they took all the engine oil out of it and put it on an engine dyno and ran it for like five hours or something and then they disassembled it and you could still see the cross hatchings from when the cylinders were honed wow <laughs> with no oil so no bore scoring right <laughs> <laughs> a little far from it yeah that the 92x was fun too although that was a that was an automatic instead of a stick so um not as fun as it could have been what else was fun uh they, they were all fun the crx the CRX was, um, it wasn't mine. It was, it was long in tooth. I think it had about 200,000 miles, had some holes in the floor. So, you know, you get your feet wet going through a puddle. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what that was. That car I think was misplaced. I don't remember selling it or I don't remember what happened to the CRX. Um, but I think it was misplaced. <laughs> I think I was borrowing it from my sister, but you know, these things happen, Isaac, it was yeah. a small car. Yeah. Tough to find sometimes, but, um, the Audi was fun, rock solid. My God, that thing mm. was a tank. Funny story there. My buddy's mother made him get rid of it, gave it to me. I needed a car. I was working with them and it had been sitting outside their house and it was sun faded. It looked terrible. And uh, he says, here, Gary, you want my 4,000? So I took it and it was my first experience with the clay bar. So I used the clay bar. Here I am on the streets of downtown Detroit with this uh, Audi with extremely faded paint and a clay bar. And by the in one weekend, I drove back into to the shop there. And it, that thing, the finish looked like brand new. And mm -hmm. something about the German cars, too. It just seems like the, the paint's a mile deep compared to a mm -hmm. Japanese car, or at the time anyway. And uh, he just couldn't believe that that was the same car that he had just given me. Probably regretted it. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. Very, uh, very reassuring to drive, you know, that four-wheel drive. At the time, what was their slogan with the rallies? Cars, uh, um, 
the unfair advantage or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say I should know that. That's right. You said, did you say you work at an Audi dealership? I do, no. yeah. So did my friend who gave me that, actually. He worked at, nice. he was a service advisor. That's what I do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I've driven cars that I didn't like, but they weren't really mine. They were just, they were being borrowed at the time. A couple of them stolen while I was borrowing them. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, that's okay. <laughs> Things Sounds like it was for the better, actually. Well, well, that's what my mom said about my dad's '79 Bonneville. <laughs> oh, uh, wow, that she... was that was a tank version, like one of the last, oh, yeah. one of the last like big body ones before they went well, front wheel drive. Yeah, well, it was the uh, the Bonneville Brome, you know, with the big crushed velour. Oh yeah, all that stuff and, and the, uh, the button pillows. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tufted, I think they call yeah. it Tufted. Um, yeah, that thing was something else. But he just kept it, and it was just his, his beater he drove in the winter. And then I needed a, at a uh, I was in a former life, I was a, a broke musician, Isaac. Okay. So people took pity on me, and my dad would give me whatever car was circulating between his kids. And that was the Bonneville. Now, I had just found a four-door Acura, I think. I just wanted to see how it drove. I bought it for, I think it was a hundred bucks. And I thought, well, I just want to see how it drives. So I parked the Pontiac and I took the license plate off and put it on the the Honda and drove it around. It was fine. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the next morning I got up to walk out and this guy says, uh, hey, you have the Pontiac, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, somebody towed it. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> sure enough, in Detroit, a chop shop. Okay. And I felt terrible. And my mom says, Gary, thank you very much. I've been telling him to get rid of that car for years. That's awesome. Yeah. And I had to put that CRX in there too. I just don't remember what happened to it. So I'm going to call it misplaced. And then also a Civic, a Honda Civic, somebody stole. I think there was a, uh, an 80s Cadillac as well that was stolen while I had it. Another yeah, Just, just uh, yeah, of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably why it was stolen, just for that cherished interior. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the one to have. You have to have the bro. Yeah, yeah, because they all come with the boulevard ride, as they called it. <laughs> you may you may remember my first car. I had um, had an '86 Grand Am Coupe. Oh yeah, it was yeah. the two tone blue with a manual and the Iron Duke. Yeah, the Iron Duke. Yeah, I knew a guy that worked at uh, General Motors. He was an engineer, and he swore by that Iron Duke. So it's the most reliable engine in the world. It is until it gets in the hands of a 17-year-old who doesn't know how to drive but thinks he does. Mm -hmm. And then he decides to have a few accidents with it, and for some reason there's an unexplained coolant leak somewhere. Don't ask me how oh, I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ask, yeah telling, <laughs> telling the story from a for a friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. I never really had any big accidents. None that I can think of. There was one. I was a designated driver and somebody ran a stop sign um, who was not the, clearly the designated driver. <laughs> there was that. And I got rear-ended while sitting still in front of uh, a, a cop who was directing traffic outside the Pontiac Silverdome when a Detroit Pistons game ended. And somebody was just looking at the stadium thinking, oh, I wonder what's going on, and smashed into me without a single bit of braking. Yeah. Just smashed into me going 40 miles an hour. Oof. That was the brand-new 86 Honda Civic Si a week after I bought it. 
I could see why they would have totaled it if it wasn't. Yeah, I had a big gulp in my all over my dash after that. I now I've jinxed myself. (laughs) I got mine out of my system the first couple of years I was driving, but. Yeah, it's like when I was riding my bikes, other bikers would say, have you had your accident yet? And I said, no, I don't, I'm not going to get an accident. I'm yep. careful. And they said, everybody thinks they're careful. And then they have their first accident. Yeah. And then you're careful. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard the saying, there are two types of motorcyclists, those who've had accidents and those who haven't had it yet. Right. Yeah. Right. The only motorcycle accident I had, same, same friend of mine, um, uh, he had a Harley and I had my, uh, my little crotch rocket, my Yamaha, and he put dual disc brakes on the front of his Harley state of the art for a Harley. I don't know if I had duels up front. I think I did, but he said, I can stop faster than your RZ. And I said, Oh yeah. So we, there had, we happened, I don't know why, but we had an orange traffic cone and we set up a little area on the street and we had a braking contest mm. in motorcycles, Isaac. Okay. And I had just finished taking the motorcycle safety foundation course, which I have to endorse for anybody thinking of doing so. That course probably saved my life many times over. But you're taught to squeeze the brake lever, not grab it. Mm -hmm. Well, in a competitive environment, I grabbed it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Front tire locked. It was almost like somebody had knocked me over. It went down so quickly. It was just incredible. I mean, if you hold a pencil between your index and middle finger and just twist your fingers and the pencil slams on the surface of the table, that's how fast I went down. Yeah. Uh, I I just got a little road rash because it was, of course, I wasn't moving forward when it fell. But uh, that was my only biking accident or motorcycle accident. Had had bicycle accidents. That's what I was referring to earlier. Sure. Any other stories that have come to mind that we haven't touched on yet? oh isaac i'm full of stories oh i know (laughs) well my my buddy when that 356 i alluded to that he bought we drove it back that was before cell phones before before the internet sure and we didn't even bring a map we just headed from albuquerque towards detroit with the understanding we would not get on the highway unless we had to so it was just two lane surface roads yeah the whole way and uh we had a ball i bet um How yeah we went thank you i don't remember okay <laughs> but we we left albuquerque and we stopped in uh we stopped in santa fe because uh he wanted he said there was this place called the pink adobe some uh, okay. mexican restaurant and he said they have the best margaritas in in the country so we stopped there for lunch and there was just uh, I think three old ladies at a table. The place was empty, and the bartender said, "Sorry, guys, we we don't serve food between lunch and dinner, and you just missed it. But here, I'll give you a pitcher of margaritas." <laughs> so we had some of those. We bought the old ladies a couple pitchers, and then we we had to go. You know, we were we were losing time. And uh, next thing you know, I woke up. the 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 three fifty six was under a bridge in the middle of the desert, where two lanes or two roads intersected with a you know. And um, I woke him up and I said, dude, where are we? He goes, I don't know. That's why I pulled over. (laughs) (laughs) So it took us a couple hours to realize that we had gone too far north. We were way off our planned course. We were in another state. Yeah. But, um, But that was a fun trip. 
can you imagine? I, I can't even, I, I don't go anywhere without, without GPS, without Google Maps telling yeah. me which way to turn. I mean, I used to carry like paper maps in my cars um, and I would, I would get one, you know, for every state I, I would um, visit kind of as like a memento, but then I realized they're just kind of taking up space and it was a, I didn't need another collection. So I, <laughs> I stopped collecting them. Um, but now I do that with an app. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my dad said it was an IQ test to be able to fold them correctly. Oh yeah. After they you, were open. It's yeah. like putting toilet paper on the roll the proper way. You have to roll <laughs> You have to fold the map the proper way so that all the same creases are there. <laughs> Well, Isaac, I've never tried to put toilet paper back on the roll after using it. Well, <laughs> there's a trick to it. There's there's a real art. Oh boy! But yeah, those. It's funny how fast technology just leapt forward. I hate to sound like an old man, but boy, it really did. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I would. I graduated from paper maps to a Garmin that I updated a couple of times, and then I just got to the point where I could use my phone. I often wonder as I'm getting directions from Google and you know, you're coming up on a, a complex intersection where there's like three exits or three red lights in quick succession. And the, the, the GPS will say, you know, stay in the, stay in the left lane. And then as soon as you're passing through, get in the right lane and turn right. It's like, how do you, how can you see that on a map that's showing you the whole state? Like you don't get that kind of definition. No, no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's funny you bring up Garmin because when I first moved here, um, within one day, uh, I had to get a Garmin because mm. I, I, I just couldn't find my way. I I'd go to Seven Eleven and get lost trying to come back. I wasn't familiar with the roads. Yeah. And in Detroit, it's a grid. Everything runs north and south or east or west. And um, that's where like eight mile road runs. Sure. It's, it's eight miles from downtown Detroit and it runs east and west. You have, you know, seven mile road, eight mile road, nine mile. They're all a mile apart from each other in whatever, like if it's 15 mile road, that's 15 miles from downtown Detroit. Okay. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. Moved here. My God, the roads are all over. There's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. So I got a Garmin and had it when taking that skyline drive trip. And towards the end of the road where I said, you're just in two lane roads, it got me on some road that wasn't wide enough for the car. Mm. And I kept going because it kept saying to continue. It was a golf course. <laughs> it was a golf course. And it was it was a little like a trail road meant for golf carts. Oh, and I I had to back up all the way all the way out of there. Uh, yeah, Garmin. <laughs> maybe i needed to do a map update before i did that trip yeah that's funny <laughs> i don't i don't know if i have it have any um stories like that for my garmin i think the closest thing i had was when it needed to be updated and i was going through like a city and they had rerouted the interstates for you know where there was construction and you had to go around it um it was i think it was in the baltimore area that i'm thinking of but that was probably the closest I've gotten. I love that repeated phrase that it'll tell you. Recalculating, yeah. recalculating. <laughs> With Google, it actually comes down to, I think, like maybe the foot. Because I, I'm a Google guy. Uh, I'm all in Google. You, know, you, you go into one camp, Apple or Google or 
and I, I decided to Google a long time ago. So I'm a Google guide. I re- leave reviews and stuff like that. Mm. But I'll uh, go to REI, and then the next day it'll say, um, you know, you were at REI. What did you buy? Do you have a receipt you could take a picture of and stuff like that? <laughs> like, how did it know I was in REI? You know, it's right next to another store. So yeah. it's so accurate now. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah, sometimes scary. We'll be talking about something, and then like a couple hours later, she'll say, look at this ad I just got in like Instagram or wherever. She's like, you tell me they're not listening. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that is exactly true. I was walking my little dog out here and we saw a turtle and I took a picture of the turtle. Now, all of my photos are uploaded to the Google uh, cloud. Mm. Uh, I pay a nominal fee. I think it's like $1.99 a month, but I have at least like 100,000 pictures up there. And by the time I got home, I have one of these Google screens in my kitchen. Mm. I, I forgot what it's called. A Google Home mm-hmm. is what it's called. I got home, and the screensaver on it was a work of art that was a painted turtle. Huh. And it was a it was a it was a painting or a watercolor or something like that. Right after I had taken a picture of the turtle. So you tell me, Isaac, yeah. are they listening to me? <laughs> They're definitely paying attention to what pictures I'm taking. Yeah. Makes me careful. And then <laughs> sometimes I, I I wonder how badly I'm messing up with the uh, YouTube algorithm because like I'll watch certain things for a while and then I'll just go down this like rabbit hole and I'll watch, you know, I'll start watching a car video and then 45 minutes later, I am now watching, you know, the history of knitting or something like that. And yeah. it's like, one, how did I get here? And two, what does the Google algorithm think? And how is it trying to figure out what to show me next? Because obviously where I started and where I finished are way different. Yeah, the YouTube rabbit hole, that's a good thats a good time killer. I mean, so, I've spent many hours on a rainy day uh, starting just, just looking at one thing and uh, maybe car related or whatnot. And two hours later, I'm watching... Um, uh, somebody being interviewed on a, the Johnny Carson show mm-hmm. in 1973. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gotten to the part of YouTube where you see the videos of from the 1930s when they're interviewing someone that grew up in the Civil War? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to, though. It's, yeah, they just interesting. It, I just watched one recently, a guy, he, he was in elementary school, essentially, uh, during the Civil War. And, um, you know, he lived through all the end of the 1800s and through the depression and everything. And they were interviewing him in like the forties and he was talking about random things. And I'm a history buff too. So, or not not a buff, but like, I tend to like historical things. And so that, yeah, that came to me once I moved here in Detroit, we, we weren't really, uh, uh, taught too much about this civil war, Hmm. but moving here and we have civil war battlefields all around us. Um, and in fact, I learned a lot since moving here. The Memorial Bridge um, was the physical link between North and South. Yeah. And Arlington Cemetery, that used to be Robert E. Lee's house on the hill. And after he was defeated in the Civil War, they said, not only are we taking over your house, but we're going to bury all the war dead in your front yard. And that's Arlington Cemetery. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, and he, inher- he, he married into that house. It was his wife's. Mm. Yeah, so really interesting uh, history, but 
like I said, in Michigan, it wasn't all around us like it is here. So I became interested once I got here. Now, back to technology. What do you think about these self-driving cars? And do you trust them? Well, I kind of have a, I guess you could say I'm jaded from working in the industry and seeing the early stages of the technology come to the cars. Uh, I don't see them being ubiquitous for two, three decades, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, just simple things like adaptive cruise control and the technology that's needed for that to function properly. And if one thing is wrong or if it, you know, gets a bad reflection of the of like glare of sun, uh, it's not going to work properly. Yeah, I there's definitely a long way to go. And that's not even considering the the problem solving aspects of it when, you know, there's a example of I've heard where, you know, the car has to decide to hit a pedestrian or to hit an oncoming car. Mm. You know, like who writes that? And like there's government uh, agencies that are going to have to, they're all going to have their own perspective about what processes should be followed or things like that, let alone the technology to get there. So there's, there's a lot of steps involved and I don't foresee it happening anytime soon on a mainstream level. I think the best scenario for it really is almost like a tram system where, for example, outside of DC, you've got a beltway and you've got an HOV lane and you just kind of pull your car into the HOV lane and it connects to almost like a magnetic or mm -hmm. electrical wire and you just type in your destination and then it, it exits at one point and then you regain control. But those cars are then, they're going a specified distance and at a specified speed relative to each other. And so I think that's the first we would see it. Hmm. I just, I would have a hard time letting go. I have a hard time, I wear uh, prescription glasses. And so to wear sunglasses, I have to change while driving. Hmm. In just that split second of being sightless while changing glasses uh, gives me a panic attack. Sure. I can't imagine just um, <clears throat> letting the car take over. Now, do you, do you share the feeling I have or the fear I have that someday our internal combustion engines are going to be illegal? I said I wanted to keep my Cayman for the rest of my life. What if I have to give it up or convert it to something electric? I, I don't think it's going to come for a while. I guess you could say I'm cynical. When it comes to some of these technologies, uh, I listened to another podcast and the one host equates it to horses. Um, you know, horses used to be the transportation mode. And then over time, when cars came out, they were kind of phased out of mainstream use. And so now you have people who ride horses for entertainment or recreation and things like that in very specified areas and limited usage and things. And most people, you know, you may not know many people that have a horse or even have been around a horse or ridden a horse, but they're still there and people, you know, it's almost like a hobby for some people. Hmm. Uh, and so that example is, you know, where cars may go in the future, where if you have an internal combustion car or even like a manual transmission, you, may need to have a special license for them or maybe it's restricted to driving in certain areas as opposed to electric or hydrogen or whatever um, else comes around. I'm also yeah, not, I'm not sold that it's going to be hundred percent electric. I think there's pr 
got to be a combination of propellants, I guess you could say, like mm -hmm. electric, because not everyone does every job well. I think it's going to be a long time before electric car or motors replace diesel trucks, like 18-wheelers and things like that, because of the, the loads and things. So I think various modes of power kind of have their place, and I don't necessarily see them going away for a while. And I think to uh, I've I've heard of a study um, for everybody to be electric, it would require so much coal burning energy to to produce the electricity uh, that it wouldn't be worth it and be more harm than good. Yeah, I I mean either coal or nuclear power plants. Um, right. Obviously, wind and solar are not gonna. It's not even a drop in the bucket to power as many cars as are on the road. So that's not feasible. Um, it's funny you mentioned about coal though. I, there's a Tesla model S around here. I've seen him in the area once a few years ago, <laughs> his license plate says coal powered. <laughs> Somebody's got a sense of humor, but do you think I've never driven a Tesla, but I can't imagine they're as fun to drive as a Porsche. Depends on what your definition of fun is. I think it would most appeal ironically to an extent to like muscle car guys because you know you have off the line power and acceleration and that's you know that's the perfect market for a hellcat type buyer is something yeah. like the tesla model s plaid where it's instantaneous acceleration you can drag race it until you get nauseous um and that's it like a kind or of a one trick pony until uh, the battery dies yeah whereas the essence of cars that you and I enjoy are, you know, light and nimble and small and agile and things like that and responsive until battery technology gets to the point where it's lighter and more compact. That's kind of going to be two conflicting things because, you know, to even a small car, like when, when Tesla first came out with their Roadster 10 or 15 years ago, they took an Elise, which is a very small, light, chuckable mm -hmm. car. They stretched it a bit and added probably a thousand pounds and batteries and things. And it totally transformed the car. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, uh, Bob Lutz on the David Letterman show when the Chevy Volt was being unveiled. And he kind of took a jab at Tesla and said, well, you know, anybody can have a car with, uh, you know, with a, a thousand laptop batteries on the floor. <laughs> but the, of course, the Volt you know, regenerated its own power. Yeah which I thought was a good design. Yeah. And I think Bob Lutz later on gave Tesla kudos because he said, now they're, they're at the top of the heap. They're the ones to beat. Yeah. I always thought it was a little interesting that for the, I'm not sure how much you know about the, the Volt, but they didn't put the most economical engine in the Volt. And I was always kind of confused by that. If it's, if it's going to be there to produce electricity, you would think you'd want one of your more fuel efficient engines to do that. Um, but I think it was just one of their basic four cylinder engines that in a normal, like a cobalt at the time, mm -hmm. got like 28 miles per gallon. You know, why not engineer an engine or tune the engine a little bit so it's a little bit more efficient no, of an engine? I'm not familiar with why they chose that. I yeah. know they had a Cadillac version too. I forgot about that one. Yeah. You're right. I think that was called the, it was letters. They were doing letters at the time. 
it was CTH, maybe? I don't remember. There's a Cadillac dealer down the street from me, and I saw one on the used a lot. And I thought about, you know, that'd be an interesting car to get. Uh, very rare. But then I thought about having to replace the batteries in it. ELR. ELR. There yeah, you go. It was a, it was a coupe. And actually, it looked pretty good, I think. From I, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. And now Cadillac's going with the letter Q. Everything seems to end in a Q on the new new electric models. Yeah. I, I just started recently hearing about some of their products, but they're, what they're doing with their batteries is pretty interesting. Like, for example, in the in the Hummer, it's, it's a dual-layer battery. Um, so in most cars, it's kind of like a skateboard where you've got the, the batteries underneath the passenger compartment and then the motors mm -hmm. at each end. And it's like one layer of batteries. Well, with the Hummer, they've actually stacked it to where there's two layers of these batteries. And it shows in the weight because the truck weighs almost 10,000 pounds. But the Cadillac is, is based on that as well. So they can kind of... That's one of the nice things about batteries too is you can kind of add or subtract to fit whatever the need is you're trying to meet. That's it's true. Great. Yeah, I would... Uh, right now, I think it's uh, it would be a... A real pain in the butt to try to take my uh, trip from Seattle to Alexandria, Virginia in a Tesla because you'd have to plot your your course wherever the charging stations are along the way. Yeah. And that's assuming that there's free free charging ports. Yeah. I, I should say ones that aren't <clears throat> taken up currently, you know. Right. Yeah, vacant. And I did see a lot of them. I have to, I have to admit there were a lot of them. A lot of... Um, I, I think I saw McDonald's that would have like three or four parking spots that had charging stations. Yeah. So maybe it's not as difficult that I, as I imagine. If you have a Tesla, not so much because most of them are like superchargers and higher speed. Uh, but if you buy another brand of car, um, your options are much more limited and it's hard to know what kind of charging speed you're going to get. Just in my general area, I think there are three charge stations for non-teslas and that's in probably um a 20 mile radius and one is like a 1.7 kilowatt hour charger which means the average electric car is going to take it about three days to charge it <laughs> so you know if you've got three or four of those it's it's definitely the weak point in the infrastructure yeah, the grocery store here, the Safeway, has a, a couple spots with chargers in them that offer free chargers. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to be getting one anytime soon. I'm going to be in my Cayman until I die. Yeah. Hopefully not dying in the Cayman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, we've gone on from... <laughs> We've gone from Porsche stories to toilet paper to dying in our Porsches. So we've, I guess we've kind of come full circle. Um, Gary, it was, it was awesome having you on. Uh, I appreciated talking to you and you taking the time out of your evening. I and, enjoyed um, it. Yeah. I will definitely stay up to date with you on um, Instagram. G underscore Rob underscore DC. Uh, you can follow him. All things. Um, Porsche came in planes, I think, right? You've got some planes yep. on there. Um, your dog and I think food as well. So some food. Yeah, some food. Back when, yeah, pre-COVID were the food. That's when I was eating in a restaurant. 
Look for the old English G. That's my moniker. Gary, again, thank you for joining me and I will talk to you again soon. Thank you, Isaac. Thanks. Absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me. You can reach me by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. Stay in touch. You can always ask me a question, recommend a guest, or just tell me what's on your mind. I look forward to hearing from you. Your feedback is also always appreciated, and I would love it if you could rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app of choice. Until next time, enjoy the drive.